0: This morning, I want to turn your attention to the prophecy of the priestly parent. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, you know we've been working our way through Luke 1 and 2, and uh, this morning we're coming to the end of Luke 1. Um, when I planned this a few uh, months back, I plan out my preaching calendar ahead, um, this next Sunday was the Sunday right before Christmas, so I thought, that'll be the birth of Jesus, right? And so we'll kind of work backwards from there. And then I found out um, a, a couple of months ago, um, after I'd already planned that out and had everything in the works, I found out that we were going to do the cantata on this morning. So it's going to feel a little bit of, almost like a little bit of whiplash, because we're going to go back before Jesus was born. We've just been thinking about his birth. Now we're going to go back a little bit further. But in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, if you'll remember from Luke chapter one, Gabriel visits Zachariah. Zachariah is a priest, he's working in the temple, and they do their version of uh of rolling the dice. Um, they they cast lots, and the lot falls on Zechariah. Something that we would look at as a chance thing. They would look at as God ordaining his person to be working in the temple in that particular day. It was a once in a lifetime thing. If you were selected to offer incense in the temple, you probably wouldn't get another chance for the rest of your life. It was that kind of a circumstance, but it's in that circumstance God ordains that Zechariah is going to be the one on that day to offer the incense to the Lord in the temple, and it's just him and God and God's messenger shows up and delivers the news that your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son. Now, they were no spring chickens. Let's put it that way. They were too old to have a child. In fact, they were they were known, they had the reputation of being holy parents, but without a child, it was almost like, is God punishing them for something? Why would God let her be barren? Shouldn't she be bearing many children as holy and as good as they seem to be? Most people would think children are blessings of God, and so if you don't have children, is that a curse from God because of some kind of sin or something? But no, it wasn't. It was God working out his plan. Zechariah had long given up on the hope of a child. And so he asked Gabriel, how can this be? You mean to tell me, my wife, who's too old to have a kid, and I'm certainly too old to father a kid. We're going to have a... How in the world is that even possible? And the angel says, since you doubt with your words, you'll have no more words until the baby's born. And this priest comes out of the temple mute. He can't talk. Now, I imagine if you saw an angel, if an angel suddenly appeared right here, we'd all be silent for a little while, just in shock. But even after the initial shock wore away, Zachariah's still not talking. Months and months go by. Elizabeth does get pregnant. She's at home resting because, well, she needs the rest. Those of you who have had children know that pregnancy takes a lot out of you. She's at home resting. He's trying to fulfill his priestly duties, but it's kind of hard to bless the people when you can't even talk. I imagine he spent lots of time looking at the scripture, poring over what the prophets of old had said, looking at just what role that, that son of his, that Gabriel said would prepare the Messiah's way, just what role he would play. What had the prophets declared? What do we know from the scriptures about this man's life when he is born and raised as he goes before the Lord? Well, the time eventually comes, Elizabeth gives birth. A few days later, on the eighth day, they come to circumcise the child and to initiate him into the covenant people of God. And they ask, what's the child's name going to be? And Elizabeth said, John. And they... For some reason, just didn't take her word for it. So they asked Zachariah, what do you want to name him? And he calls for this tablet, writing tablet, a a small piece of wood with, um, with wax on top of it. And you use something to kind of sketch into the wax what you want to say. And he writes into the wax, his name is John. And his mouth is opened and he begins to speak. Now think about it. He hasn't spoken for months, maybe even a Full year, what do you think the first thing he would say would be? What would you say if you had gone that long? If you had seen everything that God had done in your life and what was to come in the life of your son? What would you say? This morning we're going to look at what he says. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. You see, when Zechariah is faced with God's activity, not just history, not just long ago to people you've never met. To, to folks that lived in a place far different from you, in a time far different than yours. But when Zachariah sees God's activity in his own life and sees the activity to come in the life of his child, he is moved to praise God. Look in Luke chapter 1, verse 67 and following. And his father, Zachariah, this is John the Baptist's father, Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. The first thing that he says is, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Now, this isn't happy blessed. This isn't blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's just the kingdom of heaven. It's a different word. It's the word where we get our word eulogy from. It's a, it's a word of praise. He is praising God. Listen to what he says. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days i find interesting what he says about god he says blessed be the lord for his works blessed be the lord god of israel for he has visited and redeemed his people that that word visit that's not hey i'm coming over to say hey and chit chat that's not let's sit on the porch with a glass of sweet tea and, and just hang out a while. That's not the kind of visit. This word for visit, it has two parts. It, it the first part is to come and take a close look, to almost to examine, but not for the purpose of grading or testing or seeing if you have any faults. The second part, the purpose of it, is to find a way to help. This would be like you got a you got a person who's shut in. And you go over to check on them, see if they need any groceries. Maybe there's a burned out bulb that you can change or something's not working right and you can fix. Leaky faucet that you can kind of tighten up or whatever the case may be. That's the kind of visit we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of visit where you come and you check on someone and you find what needs to be done to help them and you help them. Now, what did God see when he came to his people? This isn't the first time he's visited his people. If you remember the story of the Exodus, in Exodus chapter 4, the Bible tells us that God visited his people and through Moses would lead them out. What kind of thing would God see among his people in that day? Well, he probably would have seen a lot of hopelessness. It had been centuries since God had spoken to his people through a prophet. Now, there were some pretenders. There were many people who walked around saying they were the Messiah. I mean, any, anybody with uh, half a brain cell could, blame, could claim themselves to be the Messiah. I'm the one that's going to lead Israel. Oh, uh, but never worked out that way. Oh, they would have some good revolts. There were the Bar-Khava revolt and other revolts that, that where, they would, where, where they would kind of start to get a little bit more autonomy, um, but nothing worked. All the hopes were just consistently being dashed. One minute, this guy's saying, I'm the promised one that God's going to use to deliver. And he gets a few folks following him, and then they lose in a bloody, terrible battle. And that that just, by this point in time, I'm sure people are tired of hearing empty promises. He would have found a people who were hopeless, people who thought that they were destined to be forgotten by God, people who wondered, Does God even remember us? Does he even see us? Have you ever felt that way? And it's in this that God visits his people. Not to say hey, not just to chit-chat, but to help them. The helping is that second part, the redeemed. He has redeemed his people. The, the, The idea is this. You go to the store and you buy something. And you give them money and you get the object that you're buying. That's the basic idea of redemption. But put it with a person instead of a thing. Put it with a person who's in the throes of slavery. And you go and you eye them out of slavery and you set them free. Slavery to what? To Rome? Were were the people enslaved by Rome? Well, not really. God saw his people enslaved to their sin. Sin? But what does sin have to do with this? Oh, it has everything to do with it. You see, when God looked at his people, he saw the real need Time after time and after time in the gospels, Jesus looks on the crowds and he has compassion. At one point it says that he looked at them with compassion because they were lost like sheep without a shepherd. And you see, that's what sin does to you. It makes you lost. Not just, not just a little dirty on the surface that you kind of have to wash off and get yourself clean. It gets you lost. Because what sin does is it gets you all mixed up. It's like an avalanche. You don't even know what way up anymore. You're tumbling down and you're deep in snow and you don't even know where you are. You don't know which way is up anymore. You don't know how to get out. You're hopelessly lost. That's what your sin does. And it's not just a matter of you didn't check all the boxes on the to-do list or you checked a few boxes on the to-don't list. That's not sin. Sin is that nature within you that drives you completely away from God. And when God looks at his people, when God looks at all people, he sees this desperate need for redemption from that slavery. Because sin, just like slavery, captivates you and keeps you and doesn't let you live. It slowly chokes you out. But God God has visited and he has redeemed. No wonder he's praising God, huh? Verse 69, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That horn is a picture of God's power and might on display. Remember the battle of Jericho? When the priest blows the horns and the people shout, the walls come a-tumbling now. God has raised up his horn of salvation. Look in verse 70. This wasn't something he came up with like ten minutes ago. It's been a plan long in the works, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. He has visited his people, he has redeemed his people, he has lifted up his horn of salvation, and he has made proclamation. Blessed be the Lord for his works, blessed also be the Lord for his purposes. You see, all those works God's doing for a reason. Look look in look in verse seventy-one. That we that that is turning he's saying okay so i've explained to you some of the stuff that he's doing now i'm going to show you why he was doing it that we should be saved from our enemies now there's one particular enemy that he's going after but that enemy has a whole big host you see sin isn't just sin isn't just this little red devil running around with a pitchfork and a tail no don't 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 make the caricature in your head we have We have an enemy and God has saved us from that enemy. And from the hand of all who hate us, being in someone's hand, they have control over you. No, no more. No, God has ransomed you. God has delivered you. God has, God has redeemed you. God has bought you out of that. Save us. Not physical, but spiritual. God will save us from our sins from the, by the birth of this Messiah that is to come. What world does Zacharias kid have? Just a minute. We'll get there. But this is what God is doing. This is part of the bigger plan. Don't you see? This child that Zachariah is holding in his arms, this child isn't the end. He is a means to the end. He's one that's going to help get things ready. And we'll talk more about that in a second, but I want you to see this baby is, this is the down payment that God is fulfilling his promise. Verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. Long promised, long anticipated, God is finally showing it. And to remember his covenant. This is not remember as in, oh, I forgot about that. It's remember as in bring it right to the forefront. You ever put something on the back burner and and you let it stew, you let it simmer for a while. And then it comes time to deal with it. And so you bring it to the front and you do what else you need to do. Add in those last couple of ingredients or drain it, or whatever the case may be. That's that's the idea, remember. He sat it on the back burner to simmer for a while. Now he's bringing it up front to put the final touches on it. Blessed be the Lord for his purposes. God should be praised because of not only what he's doing, but why he's doing it. And blessed be the Lord for his accomplishment. Verse 74, what end does all this, What, what does all this do for us? How does all this affect us? That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. There is a fearless service that comes from knowing that God has redeemed you. You don't have to worry. When the almighty God of the universe calls you to stand before him and you stand before him in your sin, you ought to be shaken. You ought to be afraid. But you don't have to fear when God calls you and you've been redeemed because you're not just another person anymore. You're his child. God has brought you into his family. It's our deliverance. It's also our service. Verse 75. How? How do we serve him? Not in fear, but in holiness and righteousness. Our service in light of God's action is characterized by holiness. We serve God with clean hands and pure hearts because of what he's done. All of this makes God worthy of praise. But he does something else too. Not only does he praise God, but he also looks down and pronounces a blessing on his son. I've heard someone say this. This this is a seminary tidbit, okay? You can get a little seminary education this morning. Professor told us that one of the things that you need to do as the pastor of your own household, which men you, you are pastors of your household. God's called you to lead. One of the things that you need to do is to bless your children. And I don't mean just give them stuff. That's not. No. I mean, pronounce over them God's will. Zachariah had an angel tell him what God's will was. And through his study of the scriptures, I'm sure he had spent numerous hours pouring over them. and seeing what God was going to do through his son. And he turns, he looks, he turns from heaven down, and he says, blessed be the child. This little one in my arms. I can't speak from a mother's standpoint, but I can from a father's. When you hold your son, especially your firstborn son, for the first time, it's great. Of course, it's also terrifying. You get nervous, scared, and excited all at once. I can't speak for mama, but I can speak for daddy here. Looking at his child, looking at his son, He recognizes and encourages God's activity. Listen real quickly to what he says. A new child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. For four centuries, there had not been a prophet of God. But here he is. This is the one. I can imagine what Zachariah felt. I can, but I can't. Tasked with preparing God's people for his arrival. You know, it's funny, when God is going to come to his people, he tells them to get ready. And so when a baby's going to be born in a manger, God says, y'all need to get ready. So I'm going to send someone ahead of him to help you be ready, preparing their hearts to hear, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace. By revealing the tender mercy of God, John created in their hearts a yearning to know the one who is abundant in mercy. By pointing people to a light that was dawning, John helped them see the day star who dispels the darkness. By sharing about the peace of God, John helped them recognize the Prince of Peace for whom. They were long waiting. When God does something great in your life, you ought to praise Him. When God does something great in your kid's life, you ought to praise Him and tell the child to. As we think about the coming of our Savior, I want to ask you, what has God done? Not just long, long ago, God did some pretty cool stuff. Saving people from fires, by walking with them in the midst of it, parting seas. So as folks can walk, not on mushy ground, but on dry ground, God's done some pretty incredible stuff. But what has he done in you? What has he done in you? Maybe it's time to praise him. And what's he done in your kid's life? Parents? Grandparents? Why don't you recognize and encourage God's activity in them too? I'm going to be up here at the front. Maybe maybe you've heard God speaking to you and telling you, you know, I need to, I need to pronounce some blessings. We're going to have the altar open. You're welcome to come. If you need someone to talk to, I'll be here. Maybe you're saying, I didn't know God was doing all that. I just thought I just thought, baby Jesus was a great thing. I didn't realize that I needed to be saved, that I was in trouble, that I was enslaved to my sin. I'd love to help you know how to be free. Maybe you need a good church home. Not to brag, but this is a really good one. Maybe you just need to follow God. He's telling you to do something. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You're not sure. Don't be like Zachariah and end up mute for a year. Be like Zachariah after the year. Follow him and praise him. I'll be here at the front.